last 24 hours, I've been asked, are you nervous? <laughs> and, you know, it's not because, uh, you know, I've done this a lot, but it's because I learned something uh, fairly early on in my ministry. And what I learned was that there would be times when I would bring a sermon and I'd go, man, was I on fire today. <laughs> Nothing happened in anybody's life. And then there'd be other times when I would go, oh, Lord, Jesus, just take me now. And people's lives got changed. So you see, it's not about really how well I do or anything like that. It's about the Holy Spirit working in people's lives as they listen. So this isn't on me. It's on you. Just, just saying that. Um, would you stand with me? And we've been reading uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 in the Message Bible now for several weeks. We're just going to read verse 2 this week, and I want you to read it not as words on the wall, but as if you're actually trying to take it in and understand what's being said. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Father, I thank you for your word I thank you for the power that's in your word, and that power is life. And so I pray that you would give life to all who are here today. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to understand what the Spirit wants to say to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, we all know that it's, it's what's on the, on the inside that really counts, right? I mean, if you marry a spouse who's beautiful or who's handsome or rich or something like that, but they're rotten on the inside, it won't take long for, are you kissing each other because of the beautiful and handsome, that's so cute. Uh, how long y'all been married? You have to ask her. It's been a while. Anyway, you, you distracted me. Uh, like I said, that's on you. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, it won't take you long to figure out you've made a big mistake. You, know? you, you might back the horse that's the, the tallest and the most handsome and looks like it's the fastest, but if it's the one that doesn't have heart on the inside, then you're going you're gonna to lose the race. When Samuel went to uh, anoint one of Jesse's sons, to be king over, over Israel, uh, Eliab, the firstborn, came by, and Samuel was blown away. He went, wow, look at this guy. I mean, he's, he's beautiful. This is, surely the Lord's anointed stands here. But the Lord said to him, the Lord doesn't look at things the way you guys look at things, because you only see the outside, and he, he sees the inside. 
People look at the outward appearance. This, this, guy, this guy is the kind of guy who, when he's out with the army and there's a, a, a giant, a Philistine giant, who is making fun of the armies of Israel, he's, he's the kind of guy who's afraid to go fight him, but he'll make fun of his little brother who ridiculed him, who's willing to go fight him. He's not my anointed. Swat's on the inside. And so keep that in mind. Uh, That's that's important. You you already knew that, but keep that in mind. God has called us, called us out. Yeah, called out. Called every one of us out. And we've heard several sermons about that so far. And one of the things, I don't remember if it was last week or week before last, but one of the things that we heard is that God has called us, called everyone in this room to two things. Unquestionably, there's two things that he has called you to. He has called you to believe, that, and he's called you to be a disciple. The, those two things are, are givens. They, and without, uh, without accepting these two callings, there is no number three. There is no number three. You know, these, these are the essentials. The second one is every bit as essential as the first one. Uh, now, I know that sometimes God can use somebody who even isn't a believer. In, in Pharaoh's case, he said, I raised you up just so that my fame could be spread abroad. And Pharaoh was not a believer. But that's not the same thing as being involved in a calling in partnership with the living God. That's, that, that's a very different thing. So if, you, if you're if you are called out and you want to know, well, what does God want me to do? Well, this is the first two things he wants you to do. He wants you to believe and he wants you to be, become a disciple. And uh, the path of discipleship is, is different for each person. However, uh, we all have one thing in common. It's, it works from the inside out. It's not something that works from the outside in. It's not something that's, that's superimposed on us. Um, Without accepting these two callings, like I say, there's, there, there is no third calling. A lot of people want to jump from number one to number three. You know, a lot of people want to go, you know, okay, I'm a believer now. Am I a prophet? You know, am I, uh, am I an evangelist? What, what is it that I am now that I'm a believer? Wait, you, you got to be a disciple first before you can find, before you can find that out. Um, the path of discipleship is, is, is different for for each person. Kevin wanted us to use uh, this passage of Scripture throughout the entire uh, series. And when he gave me the the easy one, (laughs) inside out, because there's a verse here that tells you exactly what what you're supposed to do, exactly what what you need to do. There's a don't and there's a do in this particular passage. And the don't involves... Culture. culture. Culture is a powerful thing. When, when I was in Zimbabwe at the Bible school, um, there, there was a pretty large Indian culture in uh, Harare at the time, and most of them were, were Hindus. And so I invited this friend of mine named Ashok Jalalabadi. Say that real fast ten times. Uh, I invited Ashok to come and speak to the students at the school and let them know what Hindus believe. And so he did. Uh, 
And Ashok was a, a con- Ashok had grown up in India. He was a convert to Christianity. He had also uh, been a member of one of the very high caste in, uh, I think the highest is Brahmins. They're the priests. This was the one right below them. Uh, it was a, a warrior caste, and he, you know, he knew a lot about what he was talking about. And when he was talking to the students and telling them what Hindus believe, they, uh, they started laughing. Uh, now, it, was, it wasn't the way necessarily we would laugh. I mean, I, I loved working with the students because they were just so guileless. If they thought you were saying something really stupid, they'd let you know. And if they thought you were saying something really great, you know, if you say something really great here on Sunday morning, maybe Fred Jones will yell amen. And he's not even in this service. There are some churches in America where they'll maybe get, you know, get, get with you. Oh, preach it, brother, you know, that kind of thing. And there, if you said something really good, they'd jump up, give each other a high five, and go, whoa! You know, he kind of goes, okay, that's, that's just, that's culture. And, uh, and if they thought you were doing something bad, if one of the, if one of the students was up uh, um, translating the message, because usually there were a number of people who spoke different languages there, and they weren't doing a good job, I mean, the students just go, oh, oh, no, no, that's not what he does. And if they kept messing up, they go, you sit down. You go sit down. You, you get up. You go do it. And, and, they, and the person would go and sit down. And they didn't leave. And they didn't cry. They just went and sat down. And the next time we needed an interpreter, guess who the first person would be up to do it? It's that same person. You know, it was, it was great. It was great. But anyway, they started laughing uh, when, when Ashok was telling them what Hindus believe. And he said, no, wait, wait. If you grow up in a situation where everyone around you believes this, your mommy and your daddy believe this, your grandparents believe this, all your friends at school believe you will believe it too. Culture is a, a, a powerful thing. And we know about the dangers of secular culture, right? I mean, we're American Christians. We know about secular culture and how dangerous that is. Uh, materialism, which is a, a very toxic thing in our culture, and kind of the foundation of much of our culture. Exploitation, you know, immorality, which is where most people immediately go. They go, oh yeah, immorality, that's a big problem. I listed it third, and it probably isn't maybe necessarily even that high on the list. They're just other things we just don't think about them, and that's why they're more dangerous. Uh, probably, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name it fourth, but maybe the most uh, dangerous one is self-reliance. Wait a minute. Self-reliance? I, isn't that what you're supposed to be? Well, if you're driving the bus, guess who's not? If you're sitting the course, guess who's not sitting the course? God, we have to learn to surrender. That's part of what being a disciple is all about. It's learning to surrender. So secular culture's got its issues. What about religious culture? What, what, what's this thing about always dragging you down to its level of immaturity? I, what, what's, 
because that doesn't necessarily relate to secular culture. Secular culture may drag you down. It'll, It'll drag you down. But what is this about immaturity? Ephesians 4 says that, the, the church exists, uh, the leaders in the church exist, so that we may all become mature, attaining to the full measure of Jesus Christ. And so when it talks about a culture that drags us down in our level of maturity, it might be talking about religious culture. Now, let me be very clear about the church. Uh, the church is vitally important. God ordained it. It's one of the few things that, that God ordained that's in this world system because it's not, shouldn't be part of the world system. It's, it's part of the kingdom, and, and it, it, it's vitally important. And there's, uh, most of you probably already know this, <coughs> but for those who don't, let, bear with me for just a minute. There, there is a, uh, there's a universal church composed of everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ. Everyone who has ever belonged to Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what other label you put on it, believer. That's, they're members of the universal church. And then there are various camps within the church, universal, just as there were various tribes within, within Israel when they were wandering around in the desert. I, I, I suspect that uh, the, the people of the tribe of Judah didn't necessarily see things the same way the people of the tribe of Issachar saw things. You know, they might have... They might have some differences of opinions about stuff, but they all belonged to, uh, to Israel. Uh, and none of the little C churches, none of, none of the, um, the universal church would be a capital C, but none of the little C churches have a corner on the truth. They're all part of a, of a glorious tapestry comprised of saints from every language and tribe and tongue and nation under heaven, because that's what's in heaven. That's what, that's what heaven looks like. And it's, it's so aggravating to the enemy, because, you know, somebody can be wired to be part of the frozen chosen and really love Jesus and be changed from the inside out. So, somebody can be wired to be part of the happy clappy, hey, woo, you know, and really love Jesus. Be changed from the inside out. I mean, intelligent people, not intelligent people, uh, handsome people, ugly people, big people, little people. Doesn't, I mean, you know, it's just all, it's, it's like trying to get rid of ants. I mean, the, the, the enemy's got, got a mess on his hands here. We need, to, we need the frequent, regular encouragement of corporate worship. We, we absolutely do. It's simply not the same to watch it. You know, and I'm going to say it in the second service for those of you who aren't watching the first service because we're not broadcasting. Uh, it's not the same to watch it. Now, I understand, you know, I grew up in a, in a situation. My, my mom and my dad was a pastor. My mom was a, a pastor's kid, a pastor's wife, a pastor's mother. I'm sure she's seated at the left hand of the throne of God. But uh, um, if somebody wasn't at church, I mean, it was like, what is wrong? They're backslidden and everything. When they got a little older, they understood sometimes there are reasons why people can't be there. And I understand that there are sometimes reasons why people can't be there. Uh, And so, you know, it's good to be able to uh, turn on the television, I guess. But if you can be there and you're just turning on the television, 
part of the worship is getting up, getting cleaned up, getting dressed, getting yourself presentable, whatever you consider that to be, getting in the car, even if it's cold, and driving somewhere, riding your bicycle or walking, whatever it is you do, that's part of the worship. See, the worship doesn't start when we come in the door. The worship starts when we begin to go, you know, I'm going to go worship God and I'm, I'm, I'm going to put something into it. I'm going to put some effort into it to make it happen. Young believers learn from older believers. Believe, believe it or not, you know, if, uh, if God didn't have a calling on your life, then once you, got, once you became a believer, once you got saved, he needs to off you and, and just take you up. But if he does have a calling on your life, there, that's, there's still times when young believers really need to be put in a padded cell for about four or five years. And so they can, they can learn from, from older believers and uh, older Believers need the energy and the excitement and the, and the zeal of younger believers. You know, they, just, they just really do. I, I, I've walked with the Lord. I've known the Lord for 65 years. I've walked with the Lord for 45 years. And, you know, even though I've been a, a pastor, in fact, it's really kind of maybe especially hard being a pastor. Yeah, there, there are just times that you, you slip it into neutral. And you need to be around somebody that's, you know, got their hair on fire. So, so, so you can, so you can kind of go, oh, yeah, I remember, I remember that God. But this only happens when they come into contact with each other in regular fellowship. It doesn't happen on TV. I mean, you don't have to put up with the people you don't like on TV. And you do when you come to church. Glory, hallelujah. That's part of, that's part of maturing in, in, in Christ. Nevertheless, there can be a trap in church culture. And uh, I want to quickly share four, four traps with it. Uh, the first one is personality cult. Uh, this is never good. This is just never good. Even if, the, even if the person with the personality is good, it's just never good. Because for one thing, the person with the personality is imperfect. And how many times have people followed this great, powerful leader only to see them fall, and then they go, well, that must be what God's like. And it's not. It's not. Over in Isaiah chapter 6, where the, the great prophet received his call, the, that chapter begins with, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he goes on to say, I saw seraphim, and they were crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory, and the, and the, and the doorpost of the temple shook with the power of their voices. And, you know, what a thing. Wow. But it couldn't happen until King Uzziah died. See, King Uzziah was one of the 
There weren't that many, but he was one of the godly kings that Israel had. And Isaiah kind of had his eyes on Uzziah. I mean, he loved the Lord, but he had his eyes on Uzziah. And once Uzziah was taken off the scene, then he could see the Lord. That's when he encountered him. My goal when I came to this church was to have a church that when I was no longer the pastor, it wouldn't miss a beat. I feel pretty good about that because I, I, I see it happening, you know, right, right before my eyes. And that's how it ought to be because it's not about, there's only one person it's about, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. Uh, so anyway, personality cult, that's one of the traps that you have to be aware of. Another of the traps is it's all about avoiding the world. I grew up in a holiness uh, tradition. And while we had some positives, we mostly were known for what we didn't do. You know, Alan knows. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and what the problem is, this lets the outside define our discipleship. You know, I, I am a disciple because of, of what you see on the outside, and it may not necessarily be a reflection of what's on the inside. Uh, you, you know, uh, God love them, and I'm, and I'm not judging anybody because I'm not smart enough to do that, and it's not my calling, and it's way above my pay grade. But, you know, I knew people who were, you know, they had all, the, all of the outside things going on, but they were mean people. And that's not a fruit. Meanness is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Yeah. Uh, in Luke 18, Jesus told about two people who went to the temple to pray. And one said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, that's good. Unjust, yeah, it's good to not be unjust. Adulterers, yeah. My wife don't dance, I don't rock and roll. <laughs> or even this tax collector here. Whoa, what? Where did that come from? Well, it kind of came from the tone of the prayer to begin with. You know, not like that one. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all that I possess. The other simply prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, one of those guys went home justified in God's sight. The other one just went home justified in his own sight, not in God's sight. And so... You have to be careful about, oh, it's all about avoiding the world. I'm not saying you shouldn't avoid some things in the world. Of course you should. But, you know, it's like Mario was talking about the, the offering. Did God tell you to do that? Well, you know, Alan, did God tell you to stay out of bars? Or did he tell you it might be okay to go in there and minister to some bikers? What has God told you to do? 
What, what has he told you to avoid? And, and then be faithful to it. And then, hello. Uh, and, then, and then the third thing, it, it's all about fitting in to our religious culture. There's a guy named Steve Taylor who uh, uh, is one of my heroes, yeah, uh, from the 80s, I guess. Uh, one of the pioneers of contemporary Christian music, only his wasn't necessarily worship music. He was a freaking prophet. He really was. He was a prophetic voice to the church. And I want to, he wrote a song called I Want to Be a Clone. I'd gone through so much other stuff that walking down the aisle was tough. But now I find that's not enough. I want to be a clone. I asked the Lord into my heart. They said that was the way to start. But now I've got to play the part. I want to be a clone. Be a clone and kiss conviction goodnight. Cloneliness is next to godliness, right? I'm grateful that they showed the way because I could never know the way to serve him on my own. I want to be a clone. Their language, it was new to me, but Christianese got through to me. Now, I can speak it fluently. I want to be a clone. That's one of my favorite <laughs> verses that he's got in there. Uh, my, my friend Randy Ray, he's, he's spoken here two or three times, was part of a denomination, which I won't, uh, uh, there's no need to mention, but he was separated from it some years ago with the admonition, we knew you weren't really one of us. And he wasn't. He was just trying to be for a while. Sometimes the fitting in is about how you dress, and sometimes it's about your language or or how you vote. Boy, how stupid is that? Or where you stand on certain issues. Give me a break. But simply dragging you down to a level of immaturity and going, this is what discipleship is. Jesus said over in John chapter 5, he said, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another? And don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. Often discipleship is confused with fitting in into a culture, which is the same as accepting praise from men. And then fourth thing, and I got to get on my horse and ride here. It's all about doctrine. It's all about our, our true Doctrine. Okay, I'm going to say something profound here. This, this really is. I'm giving you a heads up so you can wake up and, and really assimilate this inside. Doctrine is important. However, not every doctrine is important. Doctrine is important, but there, there's doctrine and there's doctrine. When the woman at the well learned that Jesus was a prophet, she immediately wanted to argue about religion. Oh, you're a prophet? Yeah. Well, you Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Our father said we could worship on this mountain. Where are we supposed to go to church, huh? Yeah. And Jesus said, it's not about that. The time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but wherever you are, because God is spirit and he is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. It was the highly religious, the well-versed in doctrine who were unable to recognize God in the hour of his visitation to them. That's the don'ts, and and so here's the do. And let me just say the do is a lot stronger than the don'ts. Uh, We we tend to think of 
oftentimes of Christianity or following the, uh, the Lord as a, as a series of, of don'ts. And there are some don'ts, but there's far more do's than there are don'ts. And, and, if, you'll, and if you're just focusing on the don'ts, the do's are likely to get left undone. If you'll focus on the do's, the don'ts will take care of themselves. They really will. Uh, and, and here it is. It, was in, it, was in, it says, instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That's, that's how it happens. Uh, I first encountered the health and wealth uh, gospel back in 1975 at a small church on Gallatin Road. I remember the sermon very clearly because it was about the guy who was bringing the sermon and his son had both been given a brand new Lincoln Continental by God. And I went, oh, okay. And I left there thinking, something's not right. Something, what, 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 is, what is wrong? And I finally realized what the problem was. I left the service thinking about something other than God. My focus had been changed from God to, to something else. When you leave when you leave a service thinking about oh, where you stand on an issue, you've been led the wrong way and you've been dragged down to a level of immaturity. This has this always been a problem in the church because issues are thought magnets. And they'll, they'll, they'll take your thoughts and pull them away from God in a heartbeat. Jesus faced more social ills in his day than any of us will ever face. I mean, it, it, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Talk about dry ground. I mean, you know, if your pastor was Caiaphas, you know, and you lived in a country that, that was occupied by an occupying army that treated everybody like dirt, you know, but that wasn't what, it didn't deter Jesus' focus. And so that, that's one thing. I got, I got to keep going here. If you leave a service thinking about a particular side doctrine, you've been led the wrong way and, and, and dragged down to a level of immaturity. I mean, tongues, styles of worship, baptismal regeneration, eternal security, the rapture, you know, when's the millennium going to be, who's the Antichrist, all that stuff. They're, they're not bad things, but they're not the point. Fix your attention on God. Because God brings out the best in you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. If you leave a service thinking about what God's going to give you, what he's going to do, you've been led the wrong way and dragged down to a level of immaturity. The three Hebrew children, when they, when they refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idle and got thrown in a fiery furnace. They didn't go, bless God, that fire can't hurt me. God's going to keep me safe. They said, no, our God can, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down, worship something else. God may give you a house, but if he doesn't give you a house, he's already prepared a place for you. He, he may give you a miraculous healing, but if he doesn't give you a miraculous healing, he's given you eternal life. This is how Jesus did it. See? Jesus didn't go, okay, 
Jesus did not go to the cross because he loves you. You've probably heard that he did. You heard wrong. (laughs) He does love you, but that's not why he went to the cross. He told his disciples over in John 14, he said, the prince of this world is coming. He doesn't have any hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what he has instructed me to do. You guys, the worship team can come on out. I know you're getting a little antsy. I am too. I got six minutes here. Uh, (laughs) It wasn't what he wanted to do. I mean, when he was in the garden, he said, Lord, Father, is it, if there's another way to do this, whatever it is, that's what I prefer. But not my will. Yours. Yours be done. And the Father's will was that he loved us so much that he sent his one and only Son that whoever believes on him would not perish have eternal life and that they would be called to believe called to become disciples and as they focus on who God is they'd be changed from the inside out go ahead guys (laughs) 